Ephesians 1-1-16 Paul, an, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to the saints who are the Ephesians and faithful in, Jesus, in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the, pra to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the, in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us. In all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time, to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him, who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him, you also, when you hear the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the, prom with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance, until we acquire possession of it, to the, to the price of his glory. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love towards all, sa all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. Now we all read, um, the grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Thank you. Amen. This is a fantastic, fantastic passage. I'm still, I've been enjoying uh, preparing for this sermon uh, series uh, more and more. And uh, sometimes, I don't know, you, you might think, well, what, you know, how do I... How do, I, how do you describe how this passage makes you feel? And so, uh, in a little lighthearted way, uh, it made me think of cinnamon rolls. And I'll explain why in a moment. Uh, when uh, my love for cinnamon rolls, I love them dearly, uh, goes back to childhood because my great-grandmother uh, was a semi-professional baker. That is, like, she... She made really good cinnamon rolls, and she lives in a small town. She lived in a small town, and uh, they were famous. And so she would, 
get orders like, hey, could you make some? Could you make some? And she would like make dozens of dozens uh, every week and deliver them around town uh, before that was illegal. Uh, I'm pretty sure you have to have like a professional kitchen or something now to do that. But uh, every time I was coming ever to visit uh, from out of town, uh, she, in preparation for my visit, would make a few dozen cinnamon rolls and, and everyone would enjoy them. Now, I like to eat cinnamon rolls in a certain way. Uh, and the only way really to eat them is to start at the outside and to slowly work your way towards the middle. If you just eat the whole, you are a barbarian if you just eat the whole thing. <laughs> You have to enjoy it, right? Because it, it starts out a little crispy on the outside, and but still has some frosting, and it just gets gooier and gooier as you go in. It's just, it's fantastic. Um, and now, here's the thing, and this is kind of why I thought of Ephesians. It's kind of funny, I guess, uh, that the danger of eating a cinnamon roll or doing anything that's amazing, for that matter, is that the first few moments are just really memorable. You're really into it. You're like, wow, this is incredible. But after a while, you can start to just... It, it ceases to lose its, uh, in, you know, amazingness, and, and all of a sudden you're just eating a cinnamon roll, and then it's done, right? Like, you can easily, the first moments are like, oh, this is an incredible taste, and after a while you're like, uh, okay, like, I'm still eating this, but it's not like the first taste anymore. Uh, it's incredible, it's still an amazing roll, but it, it's starting to become a little, like, I don't know, it's just, so, I, this passage in Ephesians is one of the richest pas- passages in, in, in Scripture, talking about who God is, how sweet He is, how amazing He is, how loving He is, what He has done for us. And it can be easy to start in the first couple of verses, be like, wow, that's pretty cool. And then a few verses in, you're like, whoa, you lost me, Paul. Apostle Paul, like you're writing that passage, and like I was following you for a while, and then it just got to the depths of who God was. And I, I, I admit, I kind of, you, know, you know, phased out for a little bit. And so, this is an impossible passage to do in one week. So we're going to take a couple swings at it, uh, and we're going to unpack it. We're going to give ourselves some time to truly uh, appreciate who God is and what he has done for us. Because this is a rich passage with layer upon layer of, uh, of who he is and what he's done. Uh, so uh, in, this, um, in this, first, I want to focus on, it'll go a little... Fa- it's not going to be months, uh, but I'm just going to focus on really the first word uh, this week. We'll go faster next week. But blessed be, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be. The word blessed is, you know, it, it caught my, uh, caught my uh, attention because it, it may seem like a very, I don't know, religious word. And if you, uh, if you are a Christian, uh, maybe... Uh, if you're not a Christian, maybe you don't know, you've never really heard that. You've heard people say, oh, I feel so blessed. Uh, maybe if you are a Christian, you're like, yeah, blessed, I know what that means. But let's, let's dig into that for a little bit. Uh, because first, it's a word of prayer. It's a word of saying, uh, it's a word of saying, let us enumerate and account, uh, recount back to God and to ourselves all that he is and what he's done. That we will, the word blessed comes from a Greek word where we get our word eulogy. It means a good word. Uh, EU, good, or Eve, uh, evangelical is good message, right? But 
E-U, uh, logos, is good word. And so you might heard of, we, use, we usually reserve the word eulogy for a, a memorial service or a funeral uh, where someone has a, a good message to share about that person, sharing a, a positive uh, memory about that person, uh, right? Well, even more so, the Apostle Paul is saying, let us look at what God has done. And, and sometimes in, in funerals, I'm sure, uh, like I had a friend who, uh, he, he even just was, re- was retiring from his church, and they had this big ceremony for him when he left, and uh, the people were saying things about him, and he said, I, they were so nice about me, uh, the things they were saying, I thought I was at my own funeral, uh, right, is what he said, because sometimes we can, you know, we can do that. But God deserves, certainly, there is no embellishment at all. There is no idealization. As you look at who God is, that, that we see that, that he is deserving of all of our praise. And this is meant to shape our prayer. This is meant, what he's done is meant to shape our prayer. You know, we usually pray because we need something, right? Right? We, we, or maybe something's going really, really well for us, or we need something. You know, honestly, a lot of our prayers, a lot of my prayers, I'll admit, are based on my circumstances. If they're really good or really bad, like that's when I pray. And, uh, and yet Psalm 23 tells us, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not lack anything. That, that God is meant to be not just awesome in his own regard, but he is our shepherd, the shepherd of our souls. And when we see our lack or our plenty in view of having him as our shepherd, having him, being in relationship with him, it changes our prayers. It changes our prayers. It changes what we pray about. It changes how we pray. And so I, I was with a good friend earlier this week, and, and, uh, and I said, how, how would your life change? So they were talking about something they were struggling with. I said, how would your life change if you felt fulfilled suddenly? Like, just think of something you feel unfulfilled about. And, and then just think, how, what if like, that was reversed and you felt fulfilled? How would that change your life? If every longing that just won't let you go, every longing that just keeps nagging you, if it were replaced by, by a greater something that made your longing for that thing insignificant. Like, if you felt fulfilled, how would it change your life? You know, relational conflict and loneliness would, would bring challenge, but not crisis. Instead of anger, bitterness, despair, it, you could see relational conflict as an opportunity to grow and struggle well because, you're, because you have a shepherd that takes care of all your other needs. Uh, money becomes only money. Financial hardship comes. If it comes, you won't fear the worst. In um, all kinds of other ways that that if we felt fulfilled, it would change us. And so that's what we're looking for today. We're going to look uh, this morning, uh, because knowing you have everything in Christ, as Paul says we do, knowing you have everything in Christ can change you like that. Because he leads us to what we need, and he is all we need. Um, my points are going to be quicker this morning, but um, they're, they're this. You know, we're, we're looking at enjoying him, Entreating him, that's a fancy word for prayer, prayer or earnest prayer. Enjoying him, entreating him, and enumerating his gifts. Enjoying him, entreating him, enumerating or counting his gifts to us.
So one, enjoying him, uh, you know, it's how he saves us. It's what he does and who he is that can cause us to just enjoy him for who he is and for what he's done for us. In this passage, it says, in love, he predestined us. Um, So first of all, he's saying, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He's blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. And then, right, that's like a colon almost. And then here's how he's blessed us with every spiritual blessing in a way, right? So then we're going to see all these reasons Um, and just chip away at it here. He chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ. I'll I'll stop there for a little bit. That he was able uh, to choose us uh, before the foundation of the world, predestined us for him to be holy and blameless. Uh, that, That when we were spiritually dead, dead, as Ephesians 2 says, dead in our trespasses and sins, when we were dead, that he was able to bring us to life. And even before we were born dead in our trespasses and sins, he had us in mind. He had us in mind. And, and you think, I just think about the sheer number of variables in the world. And I think about the sheer number of variables that, that, would, that would have to work out for me to be born alone. Just for me to be born you know, you go back just two generations, and, and maybe some of you have, have someone in your, in your ancestry like this, but just thinking of, of my paternal grandfather who uh, was like six foot eight and uh, was in uh, the Marines in the Philippines and somehow <laughs> was missed um, in the middle of, of battle. Uh, the six foot eight target uh, came back without a scratch, you know, and, and, and then my father was born and then later I was born. And so just all the things that, that had to have happened even for my grandfather to come back safely and for me to be here today, let alone the things that would have to happen in my life, the, the, the things that would create the longing I had for God. And the, the reason I would cry out when I was 12, you know, when I would pray, God, people tell me you, you're real, but I know that I'm not personally convinced yet. So would you show me you're real? And then I would just wait. And years later, maybe you like pray the same thing again. God, everyone says you're real. Some people say you're not. But, but if, if you are, would you show me that you're real? And then through a confluence of like friends that I met and friends who invited me to church and friends who, uh, who just took me in like, they were, like I was their brother, uh, other, kids, other kids' parents who loved me like I was their son, and, and uh, just all these things that, that brought about my hunger for God, uh, my, my interest, the conversations about Him that led me uh, to, to believe at who God was. That it wasn't just the things that happened too. It was what God was doing amidst all of that. And just think that God is big enough to be able to orchestrate all of that. And what's interesting to note is it usually does, uh, first of all, I can't, I'll try to unpack more of this next week. Uh, But the bare bones, one, um, I know this predestined word is, for some reason, in the last few hundred years, been kind of loaded. And when the Apostle Paul wrote this, he wasn't thinking about the questions that have been raised Right? For the Apostle Paul, it was a lot more straightforward. Like The, the original hearers of Ephesians uh, weren't thinking, oh, this is, the, this is the, the quintessential argument for predestination. No, no, no. Like, pfft, they, they, that's not what Paul was thinking at all. 
but for but this is just what the only way the apostle Paul saw could make sense, and the only way as we look at it can make sense that that it would have to be that all of this was somehow planned, that God in an amazing way can use uh, can do things directly, and He can orchestrate secondary causes. He's sovereign over everything, and and even though uh, even though this is the case, you might think this would make us pray less. You might make us think that it would make us share the gospel less, but it's actually the contrary. That's actually the more we really dig into this, the more it makes us want to pray, and the more it makes us want to share with others who Jesus is. Uh, really quick, J.I. Packer uh, writes this, that, uh, and I'm going to modify it just slightly, uh, but it's staying true with the intent of his quote, uh, that far from inhibiting evangelism and prayer, that faith in the sovereignty of God's government and grace is the only thing that can sustain it. For it's the only thing that can give us the resilience that we need if we are to evangelize boldly, if we are to pray boldly and persistently and not be daunted by temporary setbacks. So far from being weakened by this faith, therefore, evangelism will inevitably, and prayer, will inevitably be weak and lack staying power without it, right? We know and that God loves to use his people uh, to share the good news with others. And I mentioned in my story that I shared a moment ago that there were others involved in me coming to know Jesus as my Savior, like myself, to be convinced individually that God was real and he loved me. It, people were involved, but I, I'm willing to bet that those people at the time like, didn't see the kind of instant changes they thought they would see in me, and they didn't even know they were being used by me. And King's Cross, accordingly, is a place where we believe that each of us, in a way, is, is an ambassador of Christ. Each of us is like a door into the church. And you never know what kind of impact you're going to have in someone's life. And I, I changed our website, our homepage, to say, hey, you know, why don't you think about making King's Cross a part of your story? Think about making King's Cross a part of your story. Like, is there, there, there are those who, you know, maybe had never considered it. And, and we believe that we are just here to be a part of other people's story that God is doing in their lives. Uh, God can use... Cyrus, king of Persia. I mean, wow, like the, the, God's people were in exile. Uh, this big uh, emperor, Cyrus, uh, like thousands of years ago, had no, no incentive whatsoever uh, to send God's people back. And not only did he send God's people back out of captivity, a long story, uh, not only to send them back, but he sent them with loads and loads of cash. And he used his network to help them build the temple in Jerusalem that had been torn down, and to rebuild the wall around Jerusalem. There's no logical reason Cyrus would do this, uh, except, I mean, I'm sure he rationalized it, like, well, look how, how benevolent I am to let people do this. But God was working, even through those who didn't honor God as their king. And so, you know, we, we see this in... Um, wow, what is there so much? Uh, but we, as we see how awesome he is, we can come to enjoy him. Almost like when we see how vast the Grand Canyon is, the, the almost immediate visceral response is to enjoy it. 
right? You just look at it and see how vast it is, how beyond our ability to make a Grand Canyon. Uh, like, right? and, and, but it's almost natural that everyone, when they're there, just enjoys it as they are filled with awe. And this enjoying him, this experiencing pleasure in his presence, as we, this shapes our prayers. And it shapes our prayers together, not just individually, right? Because uh, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ has blessed us, us, not just individuals, but he's blessed all of us as a church. There's a reason, you know, that, that, that John Newton, when he recounts, I once was lost, but now I'm found. It's not, I once was lost, and then, like, I realized that, you know, all the things I was doing wrong and suddenly made all these changes, and, and now I believe. I once was blind, and now I see. Like, it's, it's, he's not saying that I was blind, but then slowly realized I could make myself see. That never happens. But once was blind, now I can see. And what's his response? But amazing grace. Amazing grace is our God. And so enjoying him shapes our prayers. In the same way, uh, it, it also, uh, we look at enjoying him and then entreating him. Entreating him, it's a, entreating is a fancy word for prayer, uh, but it's also like a, a way that we pray. It's almost, it actually makes us pray more earnestly. It makes us uh, want to come to God more often. It makes us want, uh, knowing that God can control all things, actually, when we, really, uh, when we really dive into that, it makes us want uh, to pray more earnestly. And Jesus, as I prayed earlier, uh, he, he's, he tells us, hey, the harvest is plentiful, the laborers are few. Ask, pray earnestly, I believe he says, to the Lord of the harvest to send laborers into the harvest field. There are other times that Jesus says, this is how you should pray. It's in that one that he says, pray earnestly, pray sincerely, pray passionately. So when we entreat him, um, we, we see that it's not just who he is, but it's also his relationship with us. So we talked about how we came into relationship with him, and now it's like, what is that relationship like? Because he predestined us, what? For adoption as sons. And how did he predestine us? It's in love. In love, he predestined us for adoption as sons. Now, this adoption idea is, is totally, it's a little different today, right? Um, it, because it used to be in ancient Rome uh, that, the, that adoption was really for the benefit of the family adopting, right? So, so you, have, uh, you have a certain amount of personal wealth, uh, you have something that you want your family name to, to be carried on. And, and you would like that to be carried on by, by someone you think is going to do well with that, right? Um, but you have no children, let's say. And, and with that, you might go uh, to another family and adopt their child. You might actually go to a family that has many children uh, because the way it worked back then is that, uh, you know, today, uh, if if there's an inheritance, usually all the siblings usually split it evenly. Um, but back then, that would be viewed as a way to weaken the family name, right? So instead, you give the firstborn son pretty much everything, maybe not quite everything, but almost everything, and everyone else gets, you know, a parting gift. Uh, and so you would take, in order to keep the family strong, keep the assets together, all that. And so a family with no children might take a secondborn or a thirdborn son from another family, 
and do this. And so when it says we've had received adoption as sons, by the way, it's not being sexist, I promise, because Paul later says it's neither male nor female, but all have this benefit of what back then only a son, a firstborn son could have. Does that make sense? That they would have the rights to inherit along with Christ all of the heavenly blessings that are there. This adoption, you know, it wasn't until, it's actually probably because of this, because, not actually, probably, it is because of this, sorry. Um, it's because of this great inheritance that the early church knew they had, and they would have a taste of this, and they would have a taste of the richness of being considered God's uh, beloved children by grace. That, that even around Rome, they would start the practice of adopting those who would, by the adoption process, would go only to their benefit and not to the benefit of the adopter. Right? They started this crazy practice of going uh, to find unwanted children and bringing them into their own homes and raising them as though they were their own children with no, no benefit to the family, actually incredible cost to the family to do that. And people were wondering, who are these Christians and what the heck are they doing? Like, there's a reason we throw those unwanted children out. They're sick, they're deformed, they're, sometimes they're just female. That's what it was like. And who are these Christians who are taking in these children at their own expense? It's these, these people who had experienced, experienced the love of God in being adopted to be His. And so we can pray as those God is our Abba, as He is our Father, that we can pray as though, uh, it, it does, it changes how we pray. Like, okay, so if any of you were to call me in the middle of the night, um, first of all, I think my phone has a setting. Uh, so if I don't pick up first and it's an emergency, like call right away again. And I think it overrides the do not disturb thing, I think. But keep calling and I'll pick up. Uh, but if it turns out there's no emergency in your life and you're just awake and want to talk, I'll probably hang out and talk with you for a little while. Like, sure, I mean, may as well. Let's catch up. Let's see how things are going. I might be a little groggy, but let's do it anyway. Uh, if you did it a second time, yeah, sure, that, that, that might work if there's no emergency. But after the second time, I'd be like, hey, you know, call only if there's an emergency. Uh, no one really has, you know, that kind of claim on my time, and probably the same for you too, except for my kids. <laughs> if, if my own children... Uh, come to me regularly, and we have one child who almost every night has been coming to me in the middle of the night, thinking like, hey, it's time to wake up. It's time to play. And I'm like, I'm not going to ignore him. No. I'll be like, all right, let's snuggle. Let's go back to sleep. It's not time to wake up yet. Uh, you know, let's just, let's hang out. Let's chill. Let's go back to sleep. I'm not going to like push him out the door and lock the door. <laughs> no, of course not. He's my child. He's my child. And, uh, and I, it could be for any of my children, too, not just the youngest. And this changes how we pray, because we know that God delights and he loves to spend time with us, even if we're just hanging out, even if we're just hanging out, but especially if we have concerns. And so this makes us, all the more so when we have legitimate concerns, pour out our hearts to him. Our prayers will grow more confident, and they'll even grow more appropriate, too. But also, like, our prayers will be filled with just statements of delight for being with our Heavenly Father. And that honors Him. So we're enjoying Him. 
And this will also, we're also entreating him. It impacts our prayer. And then finally, we look at enumerating his gifts, enumerating the gifts he gives us. Because the thing that we need the most when we have it all, and I've barely tapped into how we have it all. I really have barely. Uh, the thing we need the most when we already have it all is to understand what we have. Right? Because if we have it all, but we don't realize how amazing that is, it's, it's almost like, why, why should we even have it all? It's not going to impact us. But if we need to understand more and more what it is we have. And so I, I didn't want... Uh, just for the sake of, of not doing it all in one sitting, uh, I, I, I didn't have, uh, have us uh, go through the whole passage at the beginning of the sermon. Uh, but if we continue on in, in 17 and following, that, that Paul uh, will remember the Ephesians in his prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, that he, I pray for you, that he may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know the hope to which he has called you? What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? What is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Paul is saying, we need to pray. We need God's help to understand what it is we have. And some of these are echoes, of course, of Romans 8 that we read earlier, echoes of songs that we've sung this morning. But to know truly that the gifts God gives are... Uh, <laughs> almost immeasurable, but he wants us to pray to understand them better, right? So I can, I can understand the gift of a watch. If someone gave me a watch, uh, I would think, wow, that's, thank you so much, a watch. That's very thoughtful uh, of you. It's a functional thing. And, and look, it has value. I'm sure that costs more than a few bucks. Like, that's a nice gift. Thank you so much for that watch. Then you, you ratchet it up a little bit. In 2004, Oprah Winfrey gave away a total of 276 cars in a minute, uh, in 60 seconds, gave it to every person in, his studio, in her studio audience. And there were paramedics on hand, it, it turns out, uh, just in case anyone went into shock. And I could almost imagine the gift of a new car, almost. I'm like, that's really generous. I could almost imagine that. And there's, there's others. Even, it got even more as the TV world ratcheted it up. A few years later, Extreme Makeover Home Edition started giving away new homes. And I could possibly even maybe begin to understand the gift of a new house. All right? Maybe. Like, I could begin to understand that. Anything of that value, wow. Right? That, that's a huge gift. But, but there's a gift. It's like God gives you the Grand Canyon, even more than that. You know, land has been a big theme all throughout Scripture. And, and you go through, even the Garden of Eden was this great place where Adam and Eve could, could spend time. And because of sin, they were kicked out. And always looking for home ever since then. And, and then there was this guy named Abraham or Abram that came along. And God just picked him out of the blue, chose him. Uh, and for nothing good that Abram really had been doing, as far as we know, we know later on his character was even questionable at times. But God still chose him and said, I'm going to bless you, make you a blessing to the nations. I'm going to give you a land, give you home. That land was the land of Canaan, 
And he went eventually and settled there, and his, the people grew. And uh, after a while, uh, they, God's people went to Egypt and then came out of Egypt. Why? Back to this land, a land flowing with milk and honey. A whole land, not just a watch or a car or a home, but a whole land. And then God's people again were exiled and then came back. And, and what did we hear the Bible continue to talk about as we go through it? But this inheritance waiting for us in heaven, then in John 14, Jesus says, I have gone ahead of you into heaven to prepare a place for you. And in fact, we know that really the land itself, that really heaven itself, really the new heavens and new earth themselves are a gift to us. And yet that's not even as good as the fact that the real gift is of God himself to us. 1 Corinthians 2 says, What eye has not seen, nor ear has heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who loved him, that, that we will rule and reign with him. The gifts of God are so incredible, we need his help understanding it. So even as I've spent hours studying this passage, like outlining, making sentence diagrams, reading commentaries, the fact is the more I study it, the more I'm coming to understand like almost how little I know about God and yet how I'm able to become more in awe, honestly, of who he is. And the more clarity we gain on this passage, the more we see God is clearly beyond us. And so it is amazing grace that he would save a wretch like me. We were once lost, but now... We're found, we're blind, but now we see, and we are in this together because of the great shepherd. The great shepherd who loves us, who entered into relationship with us that we might not want. The shepherd who himself was led like a lamb to slaughter. The curse of our sins laid on him. The shepherd who left the pleasures the treasures of heaven, and was cursed that we might receive every spiritual blessing in him. That we would fully understand, more fully grasp what indeed we have in him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we turn to you indeed to ask that you would give us a greater knowledge and understanding of what you have done for us, of who we are to you, of who we are in your sight, of how you think of us. Father, you would give us a greater understanding of all that we really own. How generous you are to us. Father, we know you have to change how we think about things. We know you're going to have to do big things in our hearts. Because, Father, I just... Psalm 23 says, I shall not want, but Father, I am very good at wanting. I am very good at wanting things. And very good at convincing myself that I'm not rearranging my life in small ways to try to have those things. Moving around people to try to have those things. Moving through and over people to try to have those things. Father, you gave your son who was trampled over that I might have everything. Father, as we worship, as we pray, as we come and celebrate the Lord's table, we pray uh, that you uh, would, would, would fill us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.